This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Among the many casualties of the COVID-19 epidemic, now six months old, nonprofits have had to cope with the one-two punch of seeing a surge in demand for services while being constrained in their ability to raise essential funds. One such nonprofit, quite literally in the center of Boston, is the Esplanade Association. The Charles River Esplanade is a three-mile-long park along the Charles River that serves as a place for recreation and cultural events for millions of visitors each year. The Esplanade Association, a nonprofit primarily funded by private donations, now faces a spike in park use while coping with a cratering of fundraising opportunities caused by lockdowns. How can such organizations survive and how must they adapt to our new reality to begin to rebuild? My guest today is Michael Nichols, Executive Director of the Esplanade Association. Michael is here to share how the pandemic has affected his operation and how he and other similar nonprofits have had to adapt to continue their mission to serve the public good. When we return, I'll be joined by Michael Nichols of the Esplanade Association. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. I'm now joined by the Executive Director of Esplanade Association, Michael Nichols. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Joe. Michael, I know the Esplanade, and we're going to talk about the Esplanade today, has not been your first project. You have a uh, history with Long Parks, centrally located in Boston. Tell us a little bit about your past, uh, what you've done uh, uh, regarding parks. Sure. So, uh, you know, I've been in Massachusetts about 12 years myself. Uh, I'm a lawyer by background and spent really the first half of my career here um, in government policy, public policy, working for both uh, the state government as well as the city of Boston uh, and the city council. But over the last six years or so, I've been in parks, um, long linear parks, as you mentioned, first, um, about three years spent at the Rose Kennedy Greenway Conservancy uh, in Boston, and now more recently for the last three years at the Esplanade Association in downtown Boston. All right. So um, now you're at the, the Esplanade. Uh, it's the middle of summer. Uh, I was there not long ago. It's teeming with people. Can you tell me a little bit about who it is that uses this park? Uh, you can relate it also to the Rose Kennedy Greenway, but if you're talking about the Esplanade itself, who's on that park here in the middle of August? Sure. So, you know, I think an important distinction for the Esplanade is that we're a state park. And so while it sits adjacent to several residential communities in Boston, Back Bay, Beacon Hill principally, also the West End, Fenway, Alston, um, you know, really it's for everyone. And so we see tourists, we see um, people who make it a destination from around greater Boston uh, and around the state. And so certainly tourism has gone down a fair amount this year. But what we're still seeing is that people want to take a day trip to the park. Um, we have data provided by Google Mobile that shows that um, visits to the Esplanade are up 48% this year, um, you know, year over year versus a past summer. And, and we think a lot of that, of course, has to do with the fact that people aren't traveling around the country, but rather they're traveling much more locally and making great use of their public parks like the Esplanade. Do those data sets tell you from which neighborhoods those visitors are coming on, as you say, on their day trips? Are they coming from adjacent neighborhoods like Beacon Hill or Back Bay or from other parts of the city? Yeah, it's both. We've, we've, that, that data specifically, we haven't been able to access kind of the, the origin yet. 
um, of where people are visiting the park from, but we did a user survey several years ago that showed less than half of visits are coming from people who live adjacent to the park. And so uh, we know that people anecdotally are coming from around the region, runners who are coming up from the south end from Roxbury, you know, people who are coming over from Charlestown in the north end uh, or East Cambridge, um, or those that you know work in downtown Boston and are having their lunch or um, or going for a walk with friends uh, out in the park. And so uh, it's very much both a local asset for those that live nearby, but also increasingly, um, and I'd say well more than half of visits come from people who don't live anywhere near the park. Now the Esplanade Association has been around. We're you're probably knocking on twenty years, uh, and you've uh, I've seen it evolve through those years, all 20 years. It's, it's been remarkable. Uh, but our, our listeners, I'm sure, naturally wonder, uh, with a park, why is it that an Esplanade Association is necessary? In other words, we see the DCR sign everywhere. Why, why would uh, people like you or nonprofits like the Esplanade Association need uh, to care for the park beyond what the uh, public uh, provides? Yeah, it's a, it's a question we get a lot. Um, you know, parks are, are necessarily government assets. They're, they're in a lot of ways no different than airports or schools or roadways. Uh, and so principally, the government is responsible for, in our case, the Esplanade, the Department of Conservation and Recreation. It's a state asset. Um, but increasingly, government resources are limited. And uh, over time, the share of the budget that goes to things like transportation, public education, public health, um, have gone up and up. And as, as those percentages have grown, it's left less money for things like arts, culture, uh, in our case, parks. I think parks tend to fall to the bottom of uh, resource allocations at, at the government level. And so increasingly over time, private groups like ourselves, the Central Park Conservancy in many ways is the gold standard in New York City, uh, locally, the Friends of the Public Garden, the Esplanade, the Greenway Conservancy that we've talked about, are all these private groups that have stepped forward and said, we want to leverage the, the private sector's interest in these public spaces to make them better, uh, better, not just for those who donate to those organizations, but to anyone that uses the park since they're free of charge year round. So, that, so help me draw the line here now. Where does the DCR end and where does the Esplanade Association begin? I'll, I'll just say uh, firsthand observation. I've seen new playgrounds. I've seen uh, spray decks. I've seen uh, improvements uh, in, in the uh, grass, trees, flowers. Who's doing what? Yeah, so it's, it varies from park to park. When it comes to the Esplanade, um, it is tough for a park visitor to be able to tell the difference, and, and, and that's somewhat by design as we work very closely together. At this point, the Esplanade Association does the vast majority of the green infrastructure in the park. So we manage the tree canopy. Um, we manage several, you know, all of the gardens that are in the park. Um, you know, we're doing weeding. We're managing shoreline invasives. Um, we're tending to, uh, you know, several of the signature lawn areas, including the hat shell. Um, we're also, um, you know, running the, or producing and hosting the vast majority of, of free public events that happen in the park. So from fitness classes to tours to uh, the ground beat music series at the Hat Shell, um, you know, we're engaged in what we say four things, revitalizing, enhancing, maintaining, programming. Those are sort of the mission words. So revitalize. We work with DCR to help fix up parts of the park that have broken over time. Uh, so when the docks needed to be rebuilt, we would help fundraise for that. Or when um, a core, a, a signature garden in the area, or when the hat shell needed irrigation to keep the lawn um, in great working order. That's something that we would help fund and complete the project. Uh, enhance, make it better than, than we found it. And so we've been adding art murals over the last few years. You mentioned the playgrounds. We've built and maintained two of the three playgrounds that exist in the park right now. 
So trying to make the park even better than we found it, maintain, I talked about the, that's the horticultural work day in and day out. Um, when a storm comes through like the one from a couple weeks ago and rips down a bunch of limbs, trees, whatnot, you know, it's our team that go out there and work with DCR to make sure that the park is safe for the public. And then finally programming, which I mentioned, the, the 75 or so uh, events and activities a year. Yes, the activity seems nonstop. And I'll say those playgrounds are not just modern, but they're immaculate and well-maintained every day. Uh, this all sounds very expensive. Uh, so uh, let's get a little bit deeper into the brass tacks and say how uh, much, we don't have to get too specific, but how much maintenance, and we'll talk about capital expenses, new things, but just keeping the beautiful park going. Uh, where does that money come from? Yeah, it comes all from private donors. And so um, you know, almost 100% of our total budget comes from private sources. So just in the last year or two, we've begun applying for competitive public grants um, arts and culture grants or tree care matching grants. But, uh, but for the most part, um, almost every dollar that the Esplanade raises is private funds. And so uh, last year alone, our total revenue is 3.1 million. Uh, 2.5 million of that went towards sort of our operating budget. Um, we just began an endowment fund last year, in particular to try and care, take care of things like the tree canopy in perpetuity. So being able to put money uh, into an endowment that would spit off the revenue that we need to try and lessen our, our year-to-year operating burden, which, of course, in a year like the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, it's easy to see how we want to make sure that we have adequate funding for our operational needs going forward kind of in perpetuity. Uh, but yeah, mo- most of what we raise comes from private events, private donors, membership from those that support the park, foundations in town. Uh, a little bit comes from corporate sources, but for the most part, it's people who have a, a genuine interest in the Esplanade and want to see it stay healthy and strong, and they support our organization. Well, it's refreshing. We've made it this far into the conversation before the word COVID came up, but now it has come up. So let's let's explore that further. Uh, you are on a steady trajectory to um, increase your uh, development and uh, improve uh, what you're offering, and perhaps that's more revenue has come to you. Now COVID is a reality. We're about six months in. Um, nonprofits, we hear, are suffering uh, from the at least distraction or cost of COVID. Uh, what have you seen as far as your development plans? Yeah, I'm, I'm regularly in conversation with probably the heads of the four or five biggest park nonprofits in town in addition, in addition to ours. And all of us, I think, are, are, are struggling in, in some ways. Um, you know, we pretty quickly back in April um, ended up having to uh, cut our budget expectation for this year in half. And so we went from expecting to, to run about a $2.4 million budget this year um, to go down to about 1.1, 1.2 million for what we saw as likely revenue uh, in 2020. Um, one of the biggest reasons for that is that we have a major uh, fundraising gala that we hold each year, the Moondance Gala, that we, and I think we were probably one of the earliest to realize, even though we had a fall event, one that wouldn't happen until mid-September, that it just wasn't going to be feasible this year to try and gather people together, even outdoors, in a, in a, large, um, in a large group to try and raise money um, for the park and enjoy each other's company. And so in canceling that event, um, you know, just right off the top, that was about half of the expected revenue that we would have for this year. And I'm hearing that from a lot of our peer nonprofit organizations that, that certainly fundraising events uh, are not possible, that people are moving around the country in ways that, that, you know, they're not necessarily, their normal cadences aren't the same. And so where they might be around in the summer before, they've now gone to a vacation home more permanently. And so while visitorship to the Esplanade is up, it's probably not as much maybe from some of our donor class, but it's actually just folks from around Boston looking for a day in the park. So you started the show by saying your user base is up. More people are using the Esplanade. Right. And you said your revenue is now in half. 
so how do you square that circle? What, what has to give when your revenue is down and your user is up? Yeah, and not unlike a lot of our peers in both probably nonprofit and for-profit sectors, we had to have a hiring freeze. We weren't able to bring on interns or seasonal employees as we typically do. You know, we do all kinds of park beautification efforts in the summertime. We run probably 60 or 70 corporate volunteer events a year um, where companies actually pay for the, the opportunity to come out and have their employees work for a day on the Esplanade. They cover the fees associated with that work. Um, we've had to essentially abandon that entire program for this year, hoping to bring it back a little bit at the end of the year. But of course, most of uh, downtown Boston, the companies aren't here. Um, so the hiring freeze was one thing. We had to push almost all of our capital projects that were expected for this year into a future year. Um, the one that we're able to complete and we're really excited about is a, about a quarter million dollar um, renovation of one of our playgrounds, the Stoneman Playground, to make it more ADA accessible, to add musical instruments. Um, but most of the, the other capital projects we had hoped to do this year had to get pushed uh, to a future year. Um, and, you know, it, it's been kind of a, a puzzle to try and put this all back together, um, you know, as it broke apart in March and April. Um, we were lucky enough to receive PPP funding. I think that allowed us to keep our existing staff. So while we did put the hiring freeze in place uh, and weren't able to bring on seasonals and, um, and interns or fill open positions, um, we were able to maintain the current level of staffing, which for us is eight full-time and probably another four or five part-time staff. So beyond scaling back, and uh, in a sense, we're all tightening our belts, um, what innovations in fundraising, meaning uh, if, if necessity is the father of invention, uh, yeah. what have you had to learn to do, or where have you discovered new ways of uh, maintaining your development uh, amidst COVID-19? Yeah, I, we were very early to push programming virtual. So um, it's tough, though. I mean, parks have to be seen to be enjoyed, right? Uh, you can't smell the flowers from home. Um, and, and yet what we really tried to do um, is bring the feeling of being in the park to people. So it's an interesting paradox where visitorship is up, but there is a, there is a component of our, of our visitor base and our, and our donor base who are at home and who are reluctant to go out anywhere in public where they would be exposed to other people. Um, mask wearing, as we all know, is not 100%. It's not on the Esplanade. It's not off the Esplanade. Um, and so there are some that want to be able to enjoy the park, but if they can't see it out their back window, um, or if they can't run into the park or attend an event, you know, we brought at-home programming to them. We've done park tours. We've done history tours of the park that are broadcast through Zoom. Um, we held our annual meeting online this year. Um, we've, you know, we've done a kind of a, a, a variety of activities. Um, we're producing a concert series that typically would be at the Hatch Shell, um, but now is being, is being done from home. And so we're trying to connect people with um, the feeling of being on the Esplanade and having a continued understanding of what's going on in the park, even as they're home. So is uh, what you're essentially trying to do is maintain a top of mind status for those who are not, for their own safety reasons, not enjoying the park themselves, are using social media and virtual meetings primarily to, uh, to preserve that community? Yeah, and, and, and I think it's actually perhaps all the more important for an Esplanade association as opposed to maybe some other organizations to do that because you know, parks have very proven mental health benefits. And so for those that are getting to visit the park, um, it's, it's clear how we've heard all through the health, public health pandemic that the Esplanade is essential to people who need that respite from their day. Those that are cooped up in their, in their downtown apartments who are working from home, needing a release somewhere, um, you know, needing somewhere to go to just to unwind and relax. And so we've heard from, from thousands of people who've, who've contacted the organization or stopped one of our staff people in the park 
to say, you know, I couldn't have gotten through these months without you. Um, and the, the virtual events is just a, a small sliver of that. Somebody who's, who's uh, at home, perhaps they live alone, um, you know, having some content to engage with that, that really connects them to something that they feel so passionately about, we think is really an important service to be offering. Uh, that relates to me. Uh, I enjoy that park as a runner. I say uh, uh, it's a cliche. If uh, exercise and fresh air were a, uh, a drug, it would be the most prescribed drug in the world. It, it does wonders. And in this time of, uh, let's say, challenged mental health, uh, you are a wonderful prescription. That, that's great. Um, I want to talk with um, you about any policy issues we might, uh, that might relate to the Esplanade. We know that Hubwonk is listened to by many of the legislators on, on uh, Beacon Hill, also the administration. Uh, if you had their ear, uh, what would you want them to know uh, as far as what you need to preserve what the Esplanade's mission is for Boston? Uh, what could they do better to help you get your job done? Sure. I mean, it's probably, it would surprise many how many dealings we have with government on a day-to-day -day basis in the operation and continued health and vitality of the Esplanade. Um, one that comes up very often is Storrow Drive, right? I mean, we have a roadway that when the park was built wasn't there that now essentially separates um, virtually any visitor to the park from the park by having to cross over it on one of the older footbridges. Um, and then we now have the beautiful Fanny Appleton and Beacon Hill, but the rest of, of park access is challenged by Storrow Drive. Um, there are a number of areas on Storrow Drive, from the, the massive I-90 project that, that Pioneer listeners are, of course, so, so familiar with in Alston, through the Charlesgate area, through Arlington Street Tunnel at, um, at the Fiedler Footbridge. We have a number of points in the park where um, Storrow Drive has a real, real impact on the Esplanade, and in, in MassDOT and others considering how to fix up the roadway and keep it active for the transportation network, it could potentially have you know, positive or negative impacts on the park. Um, Ten years ago, the Esplanade was given uh, Boston landmark status as a way of essentially protecting it away, protecting it from Storo Drive uh, being rerouted through the Hatchell Lawn um, to make the transit corridor, um, you know, more effective and to essentially replace a, a, a you know, a, an older bridge that um, that they ended up just kind of patching in its place. But um, you know, the, the decisions that parts of government make could have a, a real impact on on the park. Um, you know, the understaffing of, of parks agency, um, you know, the, the parks agency, either through financial resources or otherwise, is another one that, that impacts the Esplanade. Uh, trash cans were removed from the park back in March, as I'm sure you've seen as you run through the park. Um, it's something as small as trash cans has a major impact on the quality of life in the, in the park, the health of the park itself. Trash cans were removed for COVID reasons, but have not been brought back essentially, I believe, for staffing reasons, that DCR doesn't have enough staff to be able to maintain them. And so it might work in a passive park in another place in the state to have a carry-in, carry-out policy. It doesn't when you have four and a half million visitors to the park each year. Um, and so we're really seeing an uptick in trash and, um, and other health issues related to, you know, the parks agencies not having enough staffing. Um, you know, a big one for us, um, we're engaged with, with state government right now in an effort to try and build um, an Esplanade Riverfront Pavilion in the park. Um, the Esplanade Association has worked with DCR and 20 different stakeholder groups, um, and we actually have state legislation pending right now, Senate Bill 2770, um, that would authorize the Esplanade Association in partnership with DCR, but with our own private funds, to build about a $12 million public pavilion in the park that would include year-round access to bathrooms, public meeting rooms, a visitor center for, for both locals to come and, and receive uh, interpretive historical information about the park, but also visitors to, to Boston 
uh, to have kind of a home base on the Esplanade to understand the area. Um, we've kind of been mired in the typical legislative process for the better part of a year, but the Esplanade Association is prepared to make a $20 million gift to the state, first to fund the building, uh, its construction, and then its uh, ongoing operations and maintenance in, for 40 years. Um, and we're sort of still, you know, we've gotten through a couple of the committees, but we're, but we're kind of waiting to have that legislation go through. And we're hoping it'll go through uh, during the extended session between now and December 31st. Well, you uh, are testing the power of Hubwonk. We'll see if we, this is, is, this is just the final push you needed to uh, put the ball in the end zone. Well, I, I hope so, Joe, because I would say, you know, public-private partnerships provide um, real benefit to the government side of the equation. You know, we aren't looking to replace government funding necessarily. We're over and above. But so if, if the state, and I don't know the exact numbers, but if they were to put in a million dollars into the Esplanade each year, um, you know, the Esplanade Association is putting the better part of another two million in between the programming, the additional staffing, the capital improvements, the capital restoration. Um, and so it's a really terrific partnership that exists um, in, in both on the Esplanade and then at the Rose Kennedy Greenway and in all these other parks around the state where, where you know, the, the relatively small public dollars that are into a public-private partnership really locks in and unleashes the potential for the private sector to make a place transformative. This specific project, I think, would be this generation's contribution to the Esplanade. It would be the most transformative thing to happen on the Esplanade, probably since the hatch shell itself was built. Well, I'm sold. Uh, may I ask a simple question is, if it is as great and as um, useful and productive as you characterize it, uh, where would you see opposition? Who, who could be opposed to a public resource like a pavilion, uh, largely used by those Bostonians who don't have the luxury of leaving the city in the summer? Right. We, we've not heard opposition to this point. So it's really just the inertia of, of a legislative uh, session where there was, I think, tremendous pressure on the legislature this year, um, first with the public health pandemic, more recently with, with Black Lives Matter and, and looking at uh, policing in Massachusetts, two really major weighty issues that I think uh, dominated the last five or six months of the legislative session. Um, and in many, in many cases, for, you know, for good reason, but that a lot of these smaller local interest bills, like, like the one that I'm talking about, I think just kind of got pushed to the wayside later in the process. We had a public hearing around uh, July 1st of this year um, where the only testimony that was put in for this bill was all positive and in support. And so um, there doesn't appear to be opposition that we've heard to this point. Uh, we think it's a win-win for all involved. Uh, the way this is being set up is that the Esplanade Association would fund the design and construction of the building, then give it to the state, and it becomes a, a public asset, a public building, but so the state doesn't have to incur any expenses associated with operations and maintenance. We would lease the facility back and operate it on behalf of and in partnership with the state for 40 years and be responsible for its ongoing maintenance. And so, I mean, I, I think it sounds like a pretty fantastic deal for the state. Yes, and, and we're talking about this pavilion would be, would be situated where the old Lee swimming pool was. Is That's that right? right. So you had a facility on the Esplanade that has been closed for the better part of 30 years to the public. An old pool that when it sort of, uh, you know, had its last legs uh, in the 80s, was shut down and has been a two-acre site on the Esplanade that's been off-limits to the public for, for 30-plus years, we would be returning that two-acre site to public usability and making it, as we do everywhere else on the Esplanade, even better than what was there before. So we're getting close to the end of our show, and uh, we've talked about what we want legislators to do. We want them to uh, join the fight and help you build this uh, pavilion, uh, along with some other uh, great support, such as bringing back the trash cans. Um, but for those uh, fellow Bostonians or Massachusetts residents who 
are inspired by the work you're doing, how can they find the Esplanade Association? What would you like them to do? Uh, is there more than a big check? If, they, if they're writing a check, fine. Uh, what else could they do to support uh, the Esplanade in your work? Sure. So um, if they wanted to start with a check, which is always great, particularly in a year like this, <laughs> Uh, our, our membership rates begin at $50. They're at esplanade.org. Um, it's, it's a great way to get involved with us initially, but there's so many other ways to get involved. We have a tremendous volunteer program. Um, while we, we unlikely will bring back the, the corporate volunteer program this year, uh, we will have an individual and family-based volunteer program. So if small groups that you're comfortable with wanted to sign up and come out for a day of painting benches in the park or pulling weeds in our gardens, um, you know, we have a fantastic opportunity to do that. Also, you can find information about that on our, on our website. Um, and so the volunteer program is fantastic. We have a volunteer photography program uh, for a little nonprofit or fairly small nonprofit like ourselves. You know, we never have enough good pictures of the park. And so we have a wonderful program where people can come out, snap photos, and give us uh, the rights to use the images. So, um, but, you know, certainly they also could just contact your legislators to support um, not just the Pavilion Project, but the Esplanade as a whole. I mean, making it a priority um, for not just, you know, where the, the park physically sits, but you know, if you live in Stoneham or you live in, you know, Quincy or you live in Winchester um, and you, you take your family down to spend time on the Esplanade, let your state rep and state senator know that it's, it's an asset that you want to help support. That's great. And of course, we didn't mention it, but weed pulling is also very therapeutic for mental health. Is, is that right? It very much is. Yeah. Uh, I do I, it every now and then with our team as well. <laughs> and I want to close the show by saying you've won some award, I believe. I, I saw that on the news recently. Um, what, what was that? Yeah, so, so within the last few months, the Esplanade was named the, the landmark most worth saving in America, um, which we should all take terrific pride in. I mean, you know, we know that the Esplanade has its origins as essentially a landfill and, and, a, and a byproduct of, you know, it's gotten bit better as Storrow Drive encroached, but that it's, uh, the, you got the muddy water, you got the whole song, everything right next to us, the Charles River. Um, but there's really been an effort, especially, of course, lined up with our, with our existence these last 20 years to invest in the park, to take better care of it, to program it with the Boston Pops, the Boston Landmarks Orchestra, all the events that we bring. Um, it is the most popular running trail in Massachusetts, uh, as you know well, Joe. Um, and, and so, you know, to have an award uh, be given to the, to the park as the landmark most worth saving in America should be our rallying cry that this is a terrific asset uh, to, the, to the people of Massachusetts and to anyone that visits us that we should be caring for. Well, that's great. That's a great way to end the show. I appreciate you taking time uh, to, to talk with us here on uh, Hubwonk, and I really uh, thank you for your hard work and all that you do. Thank you, Joe. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. If you enjoyed today's show, there are three ways you can support us. You can give us a five-star rating, you can offer a review, and you can share it with friends. If you would like to reach me with suggestions or ideas for future shows, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join us next week for another episode of Hubwonk. <laughs>